Angela, wait a minute. How do you pronounce your name, your last name? Okay, last name is Stall Cup. Um, okay. Your car stalls, you get a cup of water. Okay, great. Hey, Flaunt Squad. Welcome to Flaunt Performance, the podcast for the voluptuous runner, where our motto is all bodies are built to run. Speaking of running, I'm a little out of breath right now. I don't know. Good grief. Did I just run? Anyway, we're going to be talking about business and running and how they relate and a whole bunch of other things. But I'm excited about that topic because I've never had anybody on the show to talk about entrepreneurship. Those of you who know me know that I am an entrepreneur and I am very very much into business as much as I am into running. So this is a pleasure. We don't just talk about business on the show though. We talk about all types of things that relate to curvy runners and curvy entrepreneurs. And are we waiting for the weight? Are we waiting for the weight to fall off before we begin to live and do the things that we want to do and how do we feel inside of our bodies a whole bunch of stuff and you can also go to flauntperformance.com to pick up 10 laws of power for the voluptuous runner that's flauntperformance.com we talk about good good stuff on this episode with Angela Stallcup so sit back and listen to the show Welcome to the show, Angela. Thank you. Tell me how long you've been running. I started running in 1999 um, when I did a uh, 5K training program with a local Atlanta running club. And so I, off and on, but since 1999, but really more consistently, more consistently since about 2010. So I, gosh, I guess that's seven years now. Ouch. So yeah, seven years. Wow. So that first run that you did, that was the peach tree race that you talk about on your blog? That was actually, that was actually my first 10K run. I had done several 5Ks prior to that, um, that were, oh, you know, the sort of thing where it was women and children and, you know, they were timed races, but there wasn't a whole lot of pressure. But the, the peach tree road race was my first serious race. And that, you know, it, the preparation for it was terrifying to me. <laughs> I can imagine. I used to live in Atlanta. So the hills, that was a thing. Did you race a lot of hills and did you do a lot of hill training? Yes. And in fact, um, I live, thankfully, where I live is all up and down. So that actually was helpful. But I uh, I joined the, you know, the Atlanta Track Club is the sponsor of the Peachtree Road Race. And they every year have a beautiful training program all across the city. And so we trained on hills in preparation for the race. And in fact, got to actually go run the race, run the whole, tr- the whole uh race course the weekend before so that we could so that we could practice there's certain you know there's a hill and uh and the Peachtree Road race called Heartbreak Hill you'd have to run up a mountain to train for that so I didn't (laughs) that was still hard but um but yes I absolutely did did hill training where if I was just given my you know my preference I would just do flat running I mean I prefer flat if it could all be downhill actually that would probably (laughs) 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 
<laughs> right. Is there any way to do that? Downhill all the way? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, I know you have some reservations about running that first, well, that first 10K, the Peachtree race. What were some reservations you had about doing that? Well, you know, I had a lot of fear and anxiety around it, which I was even surprised even surprised me. I had done, you know, I say done a couple of 5Ks and it was, you know, nervous, a little nervous to do it. But something about the Peachtree, I mean, there's 60,000 people running, so it's huge. I mean, it's a huge, huge crowd. But um, I just, I never felt like um, that I was runner enough to do it, right? That may a 5K, yeah, I was able to learn how to do a 5K distance. And even that, you know, if you walk, nobody's going to, no, no shame in that game. Um but the particularly, I thought I didn't know if I could do it. It's a hard, it's a hard 10k, as you pointed out. Lots of hills, uh, very little flat. Um, it's in July, it's in Fourth of July in Atlanta, so it's hot, it's sweltering hot, so it's it's difficult conditions. But in particular, I had a lot of shame around being afraid that I would be the last person. I'm like, I just, I just know I'm going to be the last person. I'm going to be so slow that they're going to be taking, they're going to have taken up. The, the race, you know, they're, they're going to make me get off the road and get on the sidewalk because I'm so slow that, that I will be, I will be shamed that I will not even manage to cross the finish line while the race was still going. That was a legitimate fear for me that I would just be so slow <laughs> that, um, not that I wouldn't finish, but that I would literally be the last person that they would have packed up shop, gone home and I'm there by myself in Peachtree Park looking for my t-shirt. So that, that was a big fear for me. How did you work through that fear? Well, you know, I, I will say the the fact that I worked with a running group and that I had that had running coaches was helpful. I I, I think it, I would have benefited from a plus size coach. I really wish that I had more access to plus size runners. I was the only plus size runner in the group, but we had a seventy three year old woman in our group, and she was planning to walk. And I'm like, well, gosh, if she can get out here and do it then surely I can do it, right? Um, and so I, for me, that that was a big part of it. It was having a group. And actually, the first time I trained, at first time I was in that group training, I had a panic attack for fear that I would be the last one to finish in the group uh, that we were training with. It was maybe about 20 people with of different running levels. So I think going go and consistently training, having a plan, and then having some coaches who could talk me through basically panic attacks and hyperventilating and help me help me feel comfortable and know what to expect at a 10k distance was very very helpful wait a minute Angela that's very serious you were having panic attack you were having anxiety to that level yes in fact I thought that I was just the first it was actually the first couple of training uh, sessions that I and I like I said I'd run 5k's I mean I've been in 5k's I you know I I you know I'd done training programs before at smaller distances but I I thought I was running if I was running too hard I mean uh one of the things that I have found is I have to really run I, I either am like a crawler or a sprint it's like for me try, trying trying to find that pace that I don't wear out I just thought I was running too hard and I realized I'm having I'm like I'm not running hard I'm slowing down I'm slowing down like, I was hyperventilating. I was having panic attacks. I was that stressed just at the thought of holding back the group because the, 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 the running group that I was in, we would do the, you know, we would do training runs starting with just, the, you know, a couple of miles all the way up to the full 10K uh, training by the end of, four, it was, um, 
was it which was like 14 week training it was long training but at the end of every session there's a little group meeting right and they had uh, they had uh, sports doctors and nutritionists and that kind of thing but they wouldn't start the meeting till everybody was back from their run and so i was hyperventilating thinking all these people going to be sitting here thinking why is she taking so long why is she keeping us here why is she holding us up that i had to deal with that level entirely in my own mind by the way no one was anything other than ever super supportive but in my own mind um thinking i'm going to fail i'm going to fail miserably and i'm going to uh and i'm going to, and it somehow it's going to affect other people so yeah it was deep it was deep my uh the level of anxiety that i had around it where do you think that outside of being a plus size runner and feeling like you were going to be last do you think that there was something way deeper than that that made you feel like that absolutely and i think it i really i'm going to put it back to my experience um well uh, well let's just say this you know as a I tend to be a type A perfectionist, so that makes it hard. Uh, I I, w- I want to be the best, and so sometimes it's for me to go into something that I'm not going to be the best at is a challenge. You know, it's something it's you know it's like okay, you know, I know I'm going to be bad. I mean, not that I'm going to be. I don't want to say bad. I'm not going to. I'm not going to be the first one across that line with the group that I was training with. You know, I was training with with people who had run the run the race for years, but. Um, but I think it goes back to my experiences. I really felt like I was flashing back to middle school, right? When they would send you out and, you know, you'd have to go run laps. And nobody, t- you know, nobody taught us how to run, right? So here you are, 13, you know, 13 years old, and all I know how to do is run hard. And then I would be out of breath. And it felt, it was always a very humiliating experience for me. I mean, I was, I was big, I was big girl in middle school, but not, uh, you know, I was not the biggest, Right. So I didn't even necessarily attach it to being uh, plus size at that point. I just felt like, you know, there was that co- as there there was that PE coach yelling at you, "Come on, come on, come on, come on." And I felt like I internalized that to the point of a sport that I ended up really loving, flashing back to this thing of this being a, just the way sports were taught in school for me in my experience was humiliating and was not if you were not great they you know there was nothing for you but you went from it being humiliating to loving it so something is there how did you learn to love it well and i think again it it goes back to finding what you know they all tell you you gotta you run your own race you, you know you find your own run and i really had to find my own run and when i started and, you know, the first pass I took in 99, but then when I went back into, like, 5K training, I realized I always liked to walk, I liked to bike, I liked to play tennis, I liked to hike, there, you know, I liked outdoor activity. So, clearly, that wasn't the problem of wanting to get outside and do something. But when I found that pace, when I, found, you know, again, worked with people who were able to tell me, hey, quit trying to, you know, quit trying to run this, I mean, the reference wouldn't have been true there, but you're not Usain Bolt, you're not trying to run this 50 yards in, you know, nine seconds, Uh, you know, slow it down, find your pace, find your breathing, I found I really, really liked it, and in fact, you know, I guess I'm going to say it's a great thing, I think I get the runners high really fast, right, because once I get into that rhythm and groove, I love it, it feels great to me, my body, it feels, my body feels great, um, my spirit feels great. And so it was though it was from learning to not judge myself, not compare myself to other people, but to really find what worked for me, what made it pleasurable for me. And that let me move from humiliation 
to, you know, not just doing it and enjoying it, but actually claiming that mantle of saying, I'm a runner too. I may be slow, but I'm a, I'm a runner too. Now you're an entrepreneur, you're A-type personality, you're an entrepreneur, you sound competitive, and you learn to slow down. Yep. Did you learn to slow down in your business as well? <laughs> you know what? That's a very good question, uh, spoken by a person who clearly has done that before too. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and because pacing is so much a part of it. And it and I really do think um, you're drawing a really good parallel between entrepreneurship and running, especially if you're going to do you know distance running. And like I say, for me, 10K was might as well have been a marathon, is that if you... You can have enthusiasm, and whenever we start, if you're in business, if you're an entrepreneur, you have enthusiasm for something. You have a passion for something, even if that passion is for making money or for being your own boss. But usually it's for doing something that you love to do. And yet you can get in there and run so hard at the beginning of your business or in periods of time in your business that you burn yourself out, much like in running, where you run too hard, you can't breathe, you get injured, um, you're, you, know, you have heat stroke, whatever. And you think, as for me, as an, when I was an untrained runner, you think, oh, I can't run. I just wasn't running effectively and wasn't pacing myself. Same thing in business. Over the years, I've had to learn. There's times when, you're gonna, when, you, wanna, when you want to sprint. It's a good downhill speed. you got momentum, go. But there are times when you hit a big, steep uphill in your business, and sometimes you're barely moving your feet. But the key is that you're moving forward. So that, I believe, those two things do parallel. And, and again, very helpful lesson to me in business is to say, just because I'm going slow, just because my feet are barely li lifting off the ground does not mean I'm not moving forward and making progress toward the goal of the finish line and whatever that is in the business. But in a Angela, when you're racing as well as when you're doing business, sometimes we have a tendency to look to the side and see what other people are doing. Oh, this yep. person is catching up. Oh, this person went past me. How do you train your brain not to do that, both in running and in business? Well, I think the, again, the parallel is solid there. And first of all, of finding finding your strength. What is your, again, what is what is your groove in business and just as you would find in whatever your sport is. How do you do it well? What is the thing for you? But then simultaneously, if you can combine that with good expert advice, I mean, I was able to make the shift from just thinking I'll never be able to run and actually getting dragged by a friend to the running group because she didn't want to do it by herself. And I'm like, well, you're not going to make me run. And uh, so somebody going, Try, run, run a little bit, right? having experts help me figure out how to overcome the places that I was actually hurting myself or causing problems. So I'd say that in business, yes, you don't, you don't necessarily, you absolutely do not want to be, in, you're, you are your own competitor. You need to stay in that frame. You need to know the competitive marketplace, of course. But having good experts who can help you tap into what you do well, who can help you look at what are best practices, right? What's good posture, what's good whatever, if we're going to go back to the running analogy, but then putting your head down, although you're supposed to keep your head up when you're running, putting blinders on, so to speak, and focusing on that, on your business goals, what you need to be accomplishing in your business and not be comparing yourself, like you say, to the speed of or the pace of competitors, because much like in running, somebody can run by you and they're exhausted when you go chugging past them, right? tortoise in the hair, same thing in business. Someone may look like they're kicking ass 
and ahead of you, and then you know six months from now they're out of business because they didn't they didn't work their game, they didn't run their race, they didn't they didn't figure out what their pace needed to be for their business. Hmm. Why did you feel like you needed to apologize for your performance when you first started? Well, it was this thing of again. I benefited from being in a group, but I also felt to a degree like I was letting the group down. And again, the group didn't make me feel that way. They were very lovely. But, you know, what do we tell ourselves? People have to be nice. Well, particularly in in, in, in the South, in Georgia, people are going to be nice <laughs> for the most part. Uh, uh, you know, I'm like, nobody's going to be like, oh, we hate you being your big bad girl. And uh, it's like, but but this thought of I'm... Like, oh, you're tolerating me. And I think it was this sense of, I'm not in the club. I don't deserve to be in this club, which is interesting. It's so true of women in business as well, that we start our businesses and we think we don't deserve to be in that, in the business club, right? That we're, I'm not a real business or I'm not a real entrepreneur. No, you are. But that sense of how I feel like I have to apologize to everybody because I run slow Nobody cared because guess what? They're all worrying about their personal record, you know, their PRs and their and hitting their training. They're not looking at me. This is what I say. You know, nobody's looking at you. They're looking at themselves. And if they are looking at you, then they're probably not doing what they need to be doing. So that getting shifted out of that of saying I don't have to apologize, but feeling like oh my gosh, these people are just tolerating me being here in this special club. And I'm, you know, I'm the slow one that they're just going to be nice to, to be nice. That, I had to get past that. Do you talk to yourself while you run? Oh, my God, yes. I talk to myself all the time. But, uh, yes. And I, I really do. And I think it's an, it's an interesting, a good, in, good question. I do. And I talk to myself, uh, you know, I'm, I'm telling my, uh, from a coaching point of view, right? You know, sh- are your shoulders back? What's your, you know, what's your breathing? You know, what's your footsteps? You know, how are you doing? Okay, here comes a hill. Here comes this. But I also find running to be incredibly meditative and that that I'm able to get into a headspace of not just coaching myself, but actually having um, conversations with myself on a deeper level of what, you know, who am I? What am I trying to do? What am I trying to accomplish? And so not just in that moment of the run, but, you know, on a higher level of, you know, where, where am I in my life? So I find that, you know, that dual experience, experiment, experience rather of, yeah, I'm coaching myself, but then I sort of move into this space of, of the intuitive self that, um, that I have deep conversations with myself while running, which is why another reason I like to do it. Have you ever told yourself something that made you slow down while you ran and it just really upset you? <laughs> Like, have you oh. ever fought with yourself? Have I ever fought with myself? Yes. And uh, starting with, and you know, the number one thing I tell myself when I'm running is slow down, slow down, slow down. You're going too fast. Slow down. Because I want, I want, I want to run like a gazelle, right? I want to be like, ah, leap, leap, leap. That, I am not a gazelle, right? <laughs> I am not a gazelle. I am maybe like in Fantasia, the little, the little ballet rhinos, okay? I'm like, it's okay though. <laughs> But it's, you know, my feet aren't going to move that high off the ground and that my I'm a short girl and I don't have that big of a step, so slow down. But, yes, I have had thoughts that are not always positive <laughs> and that I am where I will say you should be, right? Why aren't you doing better? Why aren't you doing faster? Why is your pace off? Um, why didn't you make it all the way up that hill? 
Um, so it's easy to get into that headspace as well of being overly critical um, of of the run or just, again, in that meditative space of life of, you know, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you over here? Why didn't you make that phone call? So it has to, I think we have to keep ourselves on a leash. We have to keep our minds on a leash to keep them, because we are, I mean, for me anyway, I know I'm my own worst enemy uh, and all of it. And so to keep that, keep that under wraps. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't my word, but you called yourself an ugly runner. Why are you an ugly runner? Well, and I say that back to that of wishing that I was a gazelle. And I don't say that when I say I'm an ugly runner, I don't say that with any shame or any, you know, I'm not tearing myself down with that, right? Um, I say I'm an ugly runner compared to the people that run like gazelles. So, you know, you have these levels, right? So you're going to watch the Olympics and you watch, you know, these Olympic level athletes and they just glide, right? And they go over those hurdles and all this kind of, you know, oh, they're beautiful, right? They're art form. So that's a level you know, that of beauty. I'm not even, most people can't compare to that, but I'm just thinking about, I'm out on the trail, you know, I'm running and here comes somebody by, and like I said, they're just, they're balletic, right? They're graceful. They look like, like they, they, you know, even if they're, it's not even about their body shape or size. It's like, they look like they must be weighing like a feather because they just barely touch and they're hot and, you know, and they're up off the ground. And to me, that's a, that's a beautiful runner. I'm, I'm, my legs look like Bambi legs when Bambi's a baby, right? They go every way. I have every kind of pronation, supination. I don't know. I have to have 15 things in my shoes. Yeah, I'm red faced. I mean, I immediately sweat in my hair. Uh, you know, I'm sweaty all down my back. And I'm like, <gasps> I mean, it's not pretty. You know, I'm not, I'm not a Nike commercial, you know, but um, I own that. And I will say part of being an ugly runner, when you run by people, who are who are were other runners or even just walking? They'll look at you and they'll give you the double thumbs up. Like, yes, you go because you look like you're about to die. And I'm like, thanks. <laughs> so sometimes I'm like, do you have to make me feel bad by going? You can do it. But you know what? I will take all all the encouragement that if you want to be my cheerleader when I'm out there looking like I'm gonna faint, then I will take it. <laughs> Angela, I want to talk about your business because it's very interesting that you have a business that focuses on curvy women. Why is that? Well, because that's my life path. I mean, don't we always kind of land and shoot and land in our own passion? Um, you know, I did, you know, I developed bad body image by the time I was, you know, 11 or 12 years old, but when, you know, hit adolescence and always felt that I was fat, even when I wasn't. And, um, and so it has been the journey of my life of my, from teenage into well into my adult years to learn to get past the, sh- the shame of feeling like somehow my body was lacking. And so I know how that, I call it the weight that kills, you know, when we talk about the W E I G H T that kills the doctor's going to tell you, you know, Oh, you gotta lose weight. You know, and it's like, well, doctor, my blood pressure is great. My cholesterol is great. Oh, no, no, gotta lose weight. The weight that kills. I'm like, it's not the W-E-I-G-H-T that kills. It's the W-A-I-T. It's the weight. It's the waiting that kills you. And it kills your spirit. And I know for me, for many years, and the prime of my beautiful 20s, I was waiting. If I could just lose a little weight, if I, you know, if I just could, you know, if I could just be a size whatever, then I'm going to go do something, Right. Then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go try to do this. I'm going to go take that swimming class. I'm going to go on that trip. 
And it's the, it, we as curvy women and even not so curvy women will wait for the wait. We will wait until we get to some point that we think, if I get to this point, then I'll be able to do it. And if we're not careful, that time never comes and our life passes us by. So I see this for uh, particularly women involved in, in entrepreneurship. It's hard enough to be a woman in business. You, you add on this layer of feeling like you don't have the confidence in your looks and your appearance. It can, it, I've seen women hold themselves back, literally say, I'm not going to start a business until I've lost 20 pounds. I'm not going to have a headshot made until I've lost some weight. Um, I'm like, you realize you won't get any business if you don't have a headshot. Make, you know, don't, don't wait for the weight. So that it's, but it's the thing I have to say to myself uh, that, uh, that led me down that path. How do you even work through that with women if they don't want to do a headshot or if they don't want to put on that cute business suit because of their weight? What is that process? Well, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it is a combination of, we call it of, a, of coaching and cheerleading, of cheerleading and consulting, we'll put it that way, to say, all right, part of this is I think we all sometimes need what's called a loving mirror, right? We look in, the, we look in our mirror and we just see everything that's wrong. And so we need people around us who see what's right, who can reflect our best selves back to us. So part of what I try to start with is like, let's start with the loving mirror. Let's quit looking at that ugly mirror. Let's quit looking at that mirror that tells you that you're ugly or tells you that you are not right. Um, the, the mirror that society has put on us, the mirror often that our families have put on us. Let's get rid of that mirror. Let me be your loving mirror, right? Let's mirror back what is good. And that can help to build esteem and confidence. But then I believe that you've got to be really practical and say, okay, you don't want to have a headshot taken. Well, let's talk about why. You don't, okay, so you want to be thinner. Well, I'll tell you what, there's a thing, we, if you find a really good photographer, and you have good hair and good makeup, and you get a good outfit. You're gonna look. You're gonna look 20 pounds thinner in that picture anyway, with no Photoshop, right? It's let's 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 address the 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 tactical elements of it, and and use that to build confidence. And a lot of times, you have again, you're taking a selfie on your phone. You're probably not gonna like it. You get a really great photographer to take good pictures of you, and you see them, and you're like, oh, I look like that, right? So I like to say you gotta you gotta do you gotta have the spirit, but also you can look at these very practical things. Um, but at the end of the day, if you're not willing to do it, you know nobody can make you do it. And so it's I can provide a boost, but one but from that point, that person has to then be willing to to take that leg up and do something with it. What happened that made you stop running from the camera? Well, I I. I, I created a little exercise and it was actually a thing that, that I did that was mean. I was kind of mean to myself and I created a photo album starting uh, when I was in my early 20s of like ugly pictures of myself. And I don't know why I kept this picture, just bad fuzzy pictures. And I had this little album of ugly pictures. Probably they were meant to motivate me to lose weight at some point. I, who knows? And so I had this thing and I put it away. And I realized, I pulled it out and I started looking at it and I'm like, oh my God, I remember this picture. I remember looking at this picture and just hating it, right? And so I'm like, but God, now I look at it and I look so young, right? I may not, you know, may have been fat, but I look so young. So I went back and I found the very first picture that I ever saw myself and thought, I am just too ugly for photographs. 
And it's on my blog, curvylife.com. Um, and I would have been about 14 years old, probably, 14 or 15. And I looked perfectly fine. I look, it was 1981. I looked like, a, you know, a girl in 1981, short shorts. I had a little thigh, you know. I was all hips, no, no boobs, right? And was in the smack dab in the middle of adolescence. Big hair, because everybody had big hair. And, but I looked at that and thought, I'm too ugly for photographs. I look at that picture now. And I think, oh my God, she was so beautiful. I was so, you know, at that point, this girl was so cute and young and pretty and precious. And her skin, my God, those thighs, there's not any cellulite on there. You know, the, the skin, the hair, the whole thing. And so I finally realized, you know, I can just play a game with myself and say, even if I don't feel comfortable getting my photograph taken now, 10 years from now, I'm going to look back. And if nothing else, I'm going to say, damn, I was young. I look so good because I was young. So I call it 10 years from now. So I just imagine my future self looking at the picture right now and saying, you know what? You look so good. Wow. Wow. Don't we look good? We really look good. And so that, that was a little trick that I played. And then, as I said, I invested in good quality headshots. I learned a little Tyra Banks. I learned Tyra Banks. I learned to smize. I learned my angles. And I learned how to feel good in a picture. And then I periodically just make sure I have a really bad-looking photograph of myself around to remind myself, is any spectrum. Sometimes you take a good picture and sometimes you take a bad one, but that the picture is not me. And, um, and to hide from the camera doesn't, doesn't help me at all in anything that I want to do, including preserving my memories of my younger self. I love how you incorporate style into your business, The Curvy Life. And I think as plus size women, sometimes it's hard to find our style style because many of these clothing companies don't cater to us properly. They want us to wear moo-moos. Why do you think it's important for plus size women to feel good in the clothes that we wear? Well, this is, this was why I started the blog low those many years ago. Um, this has been my issue from probably when I go back to my root issue of body image was never really so much about my body, but it was about finding cute clothes. You know, this was, uh, I wanted to look cute. I, I wanted to dress like everybody else. When I was in high school, I just wanted to look like everybody else, right? I wanted to have access to the same clothes that everyone else has. I'm going to take one second and do a quick rant on the plus size industry and shake my fist and say, if 60% of women are over a size 14, 60% of the clothes in the mall should be over a size 14. That's my public service announcement. Um, but we need that. We need we need to be able to feel confident in our appearance. And this idea that we don't have that same access that other women have makes us basically be ghettoized. Right? We're put off into a group over here that's like, you you don't deserve to have what everybody else has. Well, why why wouldn't I? Isn't my in my money as green as everybody else's money? So being able to being able to have that confidence that comes from clothes, I'm going to totally accept that there are people that don't care. There are women that they don't care. Good for you, right? But if you do, being able to have that, because usually confidence is an outside-in exercise. We tell everybody it needs to be inside-out, right? Love yourself. Feel confident. And then it's going to radiate outside of you. Well, it's hard to do that for most of us. But you know what? If we look good, our hair is good, we got our cute outfit, our cute shoes, whatever, we can fake it till we make it. We can fake it. We can at least feel what that feels like until we integrate it 
and then it's then it it is just a part of us. But but you know, I needed it. I needed it, and I was already pretty confident. Um, I think we need we've got to have if we don't have that external tool, it's very hard to maintain it internally. If we gain weight all of a sudden and we don't we're we're not able to fit into those clothes that we used to fit into or fit into those styles that we used to fit into what should we do i look this is the the female body is a miraculous thing and that we go through changes all the time (laughs) throughout our entire adult life Men kind of get they get to be about 20 and they stay the same till they're old, right? We're up and down and, you know, babies and cycles and uh, aging and whatever. And so the chances that you're going to lock into a body size and weight and stay there until you're 100 are very unlikely. So first of all, accepting that your weight may go up, your weight may go down, that that is not, if your weight goes up, you gain weight, that doesn't mean you're a bad person, that doesn't mean... That, uh, that you need to give up, right? That's going to be part of life. So finding styles that suit you and that suit you at the stage of life that you're in, that you're always going to be doing that. So if you've gained weight, you can't wear your cute clothes, go find you some other cute clothes. And guess what? Thank God the, the plus-size industry is shifting to where, you know, you can, you can get some cute plus-size things at Target now. You can, uh, you know, well, you can, you can go to H&M uh, or Forever 21 and if you don't want to spend a lot of money, you can still find some cute, fashionable things without breaking your bank. If you feel like this is going to be temporary, and at least it can it can move you into finding something new because you you are going to change. Depend. I, I mean, my my closet has shifted so many times over the years, not just because of weight, but because of um, how I was running my business. Was I doing a lot of in person meetings? Was I was I more at home? Uh, you know, what are the styles? You're going to have to change it anyway. You're going to change it up. You're going to change it up as you age. Maybe, although I believe dress however you want to dress no matter how old you are, but you probably will. From the time you're 21 to the time you're 60, you probably will change a little bit. So don't let that stop you from exploring. And in fact, look at it as an opportunity. Oh, you get to try some new things. Yay. Get to go buy some new clothes. Yay. Can we look at it that way? If I'm a curvy entrepreneur, what should I expect from you when I contact you? Well, we, we do a, a twofold, um, sort of a twofold approach. One, we're going to look at the curvy and the other, we're going to look at the entrepreneur, right? Because there is a, there's so you have to look at what is your basic approach to, to business? What are you trying to accomplish? What is the, what is the best you to put into your business goals? So we, we, we look at the business goals first of all, and say, okay, what, what does your visibility need to be with your business? Where do you need to be? Uh, what is your, you know, I think everybody needs a social media presence, but beyond that, are you, you know, do you, does your business lend you to, to doing video or interviews or public speaking? Are you going to be speaking to audiences? Are you, are you going to be going on sales calls? Will you be managing a staff? We think about that kind of thing. What is that visibility? And then on the, the curvy side is we say, okay, how do we find your best curvy you? And go through and, and talk about strategic steps to help the curvy girl feel curvy fabulous, right? What is it? You know, you may think, oh, okay, I mean, I've got the hair game down. My hair is great. We're not going to worry about your hair then. Yay! Let's move on to the next thing, right? Where do we need, let's identify where body image may be hanging you up 
in your business and address those issues. So it's it's a little, it's different for every person. Um, it's a it's a customized kind of program. But by bringing these two things together, which is who you are in your business, what is your business brand, and then what is your personal brand, and how do we bring those together so that those things work, uh, to use a buzzword, synergistically, so that they work effortlessly together so you feel good and your business succeeds. How has running put you fully in your body? I really do think that it's one of the, full time, one of the few times that I really am in my body uh, because it forces me to be aware of my entire body. You know, we, we do so many things these days that are disembodied. I mean, even this conversation, we're not face-to-face, right? We're, we're doing this um, electronically. I love electronic communication. I love all the possibilities made uh, available by broadband internet and having a phone, having a computer in my hand. I can do video out in the streets. I can talk to my friend in Barcelona if I want um, and never leave Smyrna, Georgia. That's great. Smyrna, and- I used to live there. Okay. I, I'm in Smyrna Vinings, so hey. I mean, we call it Smynings, but yeah, so hey, there you go, neighbors, um, yeah, so, uh, but we just, so a lot of times we're not in our body, we're in our head, right, we're visualizing, we're thinking about who we're talking to, we're, we're, we're doing email, we're, we're making phone calls, it's, it's not a fully bodied experience, and it's easy sitting at your desk, sit, if you work sitting at a computer, you know, this is why they make you, this is why if you have a Fitbit, it buzzes you if you haven't taken any steps in 50 minutes, if you haven't taken enough steps in 50 minutes, right? Because you can get so out of your body and into your head that you forget to move your body. So for me, running is that opportunity from the, from my, you know, from the tip of my toe to the top of my head. I have to be aware of my body and what it's experiencing. And so that makes me feel, you know, and I get to, I get to feel it entirely. I get to feel strong. I get to feel... You know, I get to feel the blood coursing, my heart pumping, the sweat. And so I really do get to engage so much of my body in the way that, um, that, that I don't do at other times. And I find that it helps me be more respectful of my body um, to say, okay, this bi- my body is, uh, you know, is the vehicle of my soul. This is how I am carrying myself through this life. How am I treating it, right? Um, oh, Gosh, I'm out running, and my iliotibial bands are tight. Well, have, have I been treating my body right? How am I sitting in my chair? Oh gosh, got my plantar fasciitis is flaring up. Should I have worn those high heels? Right? That's those sorts of. That's a way to check in with the body that I find um, has helped me a lot. When when my early incli- my earliest inclination was almost to divorce myself from my body and say I'm just not going to think about it because I don't like it. Mm. Angela, how can people get in contact with you? Well, best way to reach me is you can reach me through my website. Um, uh, I have a couple of websites. In fact, curvylife.com, C-U-R-V-Y life.com. And uh, you'll see a contact uh, opportunity there. I'm on Facebook. Uh, Facebook I can't speak. Facebook is Angela uh, Stallcup. You can, uh, you can reach me through Facebook. I'm quite heavily on Facebook and um, most of my posts are public, so easy to easy to reach me there. I'm on Twitter as Angela Stallcup, um, and then um, I am uh, have another website, AngelaStallcup.com. So those are all really good ways to reach me. There's a you know you can message me or um, through my website. There's a contact um, there's a contact email, and it all comes to the same place. So um, I'm happy to you know 
talk to anybody who wants to talk about how we can help with uh, uh, business curvy or curvy business. Thank you so much for being on the show, Angela. I appreciate being able to talk to somebody about business on the show for the first time. Oh, wow. Great. (laughs) Well, I feel privileged and I was so excited. I love what you're doing. Um, I think that being a, that there's a, there, this has been something that, you know, running, we've been told if we have a big body, it's not for us. And guess what? It can totally be for you. And, you know, it, it, and you may find that this is your thing. And so I love that you've got this outreach to women to tell them you can do it. You, it's there for you. It's there for you like anybody else. So thank you for what you're doing. And I so appreciate the opportunity to uh, share my experience. Thank you so much.